If, uh, you know, Chris, Barbie and I, you know, it, we, we love to kind of banter back and forth quite a bit, and he was telling me about this whole uh, spaghetti supper coming up, and I was like, listen, dude, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and, uh, you know, spaghetti supper fundraisers were kind of like the mainstay, and it was the worst spaghetti you ate on the planet, and it was just nasty. I said, I don't know about this, and he, uh, he's like, trust me, trust me. This is going to be, and I was like, yeah, you know, whenever you say trust me, it gets me worried, and, but I, I got to give them credit. Uh, you know, they have the student ministry, the workers and everything, uh, they have gone overboard. It's, it's, you know, you go back there, you're not going to stand in line to get your cold spaghetti, you're going to sit at a table, there's a hostess, you're going to be served today. They have, the spaghetti is, is and I'm not, I'm not a big spaghetti fan, but it's really good stuff back there. They've done, I mean, they have gone, uh, they've gone beyond, uh, uh, what my my expectations are pretty low, but they actually have done very very well, and so uh, I encourage you to spend time and, and let's just have fun as a family after this uh, uh, there. So you'll go out and down that hallway. But anyway, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter nine is where we're going to do as we're looking at the life of Jesus. And you know <clears throat> there is a fine line between being a pioneer and being a a a uh, being reckless. Uh, and and why I said that you can push the envelope, and if you push the envelope with a particular group of people or a a, 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 a culture or society, and that group of people, that culture, that society sees you're pushing of the envelope as something of a pioneer, you're opening up new doors, you're taking on new places. You'll get a lot of people to follow that because people like to follow pioneers and move into new territory. But if you're pushing of the envelope with that group of people, that culture, that society seems reckless, uh, you'll get some people follow you, but it won't be a large number of people. It'll be more of kind of like a little niche because for people, reckless brings chaos and people don't like chaos. And so, you know, if you're a pioneer, people follow you. If, you're, if, if pushing the vote looks reckless, people will kind of push back. And, and this tension is, is something that existed throughout the public ministry of Jesus. People were, were struggling with this. As the masses, is he a pioneer? Has he shown up to take us as a people, a Jewish people, to where we sh- think we should be? You know, they were always waiting for the Messiah to come to put them where they believe they should be as the ones who lead the world, as God's chosen people, and then everybody else. And, and so when Jesus showed up on the scene, there's a lot of things he did that, they were like, hey, is this guy, is he come to breathe life and to rejuvenate this Judaism and take it to where we always believed it, it should be, where it once was and where we think it's going to be? Is he the one? Is he the pioneer? Or is he reckless? Is he, is he just doing and saying thing that's reckless? And reckless means chaos, and chaos means the Roman government's going to come in and put his heavy hand on us. And, and so who is this guy? Is he a pioneer that we should follow or is he just a reckless radical that we should push away? Is he a breath of fresh air? Or is he someone that is dangerous? And so there's this tension amongst the people, the Jewish people, of how to view Jesus. And it was, it was always there. And, and Jesus would do things that didn't answer the question. In fact, he would do things that would, that would kind of fuel the tension. To do things at times that make people think, yeah, he's the pioneer, let's follow. And other times, he is too reckless, and they would push back against him. And one of the examples of that tension we find today in the verses we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 9, picking up as we are spending these weeks before Easter, looking at the life of Jesus. Verse number 1 says this. Jesus stepped into a boat, 
crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, that's kind of a weird statement, right? The guy, you get the sense they're bringing this guy to Jesus for him to heal. And Jesus looks at him and says, doesn't address what seems to be the healing to us. Doesn't address it all. Just looks at him and says, hey, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And we would look back and say, hey, that's great, but I want to walk again, right? Well, it's, that's how we view it, but, but a little different in the words that he said to them. Because what was central in, in their understanding of things like uh, sickness, uh, uh, some being lame or something, it was believed that many times that happened in someone's life because of sin in their life, that a, a, a devastating sickness or deb- deb- uh, debilitating sickness or a lameness, a handicap of some type, it was the result of sin in that person's life or a sin in their family. It was a curse of God for sin in their life or a generational sin. So Jesus understands that. He knows that's, that's the the teaching of the culture that's the perception of the culture and so he, he decided hey you know you know if if someone is to be healed what you're basically doing is forgiving their sin because if sin what you believe is kind of like he's saying what you believe sin is what's causing this so if we're going to heal them you have to get to the cause and the cause of their infirmity is because they have sin so there's not really anything in in jesus kind of going with this it's not according to you there's really no separation between forgiveness of sin and you're healed there's no difference because you believe the perception you have is that sin is causing this. And so to us, it seems a little odd, but in their, in their culture, it, they've essentially equi- uh, made equal the idea of your sins are forgiven and you are healed. And so he just kind of goes with that perception. He looks at him and sees the guy, bring him to him and says, hey, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And he knows what he knows is that that's, that's going to cause a little bit of a conversation. It's going to cause uh, uh, people to kind of go, wait, 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 wait. What did he just say? What, what, did, did he just say that his sins are forgiven? Verse number 3, it says this. At, at this, some of the teachers and the law of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts. That's one thing about being around Jesus. You know, you never could have those little like, you know, have those little conversations privately to you because he heard everything. So it's like you don't want to be around Jesus thinking very much, right? But he said, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk. There's that idea, Jesus saying, hey, according to you, the reason this, this guy is experiencing what he's experiencing is because of sin in his life or family generational sin. So you tell me, what's the difference? If I say get up and walk, it's because his sins are forgiven because that's what's caused it. Or if I say his sins are forgiven, then he can give up and walk because his sins are forgiven because that's what's caused it. So Jesus is kind of playing on that perception and says, really, what is the difference? He wants to get this conversation going that he is, in fact, the Son of God who forgives sins. So he's using this perception within that conversation. Verse 6, he says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man was a title that everyone would know would be a title they would use for the Messiah. He says the Messiah has authority to forgive sins on earth. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
says, verse 7, Then the man got up and went home. And the crowd saw this, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. So he's trying to say, hey, these are the same things. You say this man's uh, sickness is because of his sin, and I'm telling the guy it's really no difference. I could say get up and walk. You wouldn't really think anything about it. You'd be fine. But really, if what you're saying is true, then really I want to do is forgiving sins. And he's trying to say that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. When this happens and the man gets up and walks, it says the crowds, the people, now the religious leaders may have been a little distraught, but it says the crowds and the people just were in awe, and they broke out praising God. In other words, they look at Jesus and they say, he's it. He's it. Here is the pioneer we've been waiting for. Here's the one that's going to take us to a new place. He's the one that come back to breathe life into Judaism. It had gotten old. We hadn't heard from God in so long. The religious leaders have become corrupt. And this guy is coming to rejuvenate the system to bring us where we know we should be. And the crowd breaks out. Celebration. This is like, like that moment in high school musical when everybody's in the gym and we all start saying, we're all in this together. You know, everyone's breaking up. You can just see the camera backing out. And everybody in the crowd's dancing and choreographed together. We're back. We're back. So Jesus has them. They're with him. And it's so exciting. He's the pioneer. And then Jesus does this. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, what this means was this. They were around, around the Sea of Galilee. There were different entry points, and people would travel across the sea, some from areas that were not Jewish areas. And so the Roman government would put tax collector booths at various ports so that when people would come into those ports, before they got in the interior bringing goods or something like this, they would have to pay a tax. And so there's a tax collector booth all these parts. So Matthew was manning one of those booths. So he said, a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Now, it's kind of odd. Matthew has a tendency to do this. He has a tendency not to give the whole conversation, you know. Uh, I, I doubt uh, Jesus just came by and looked at this tax collector and said, follow me. And he goes, okay, and followed him because tax collectors is we'll see, they, they, they weren't really into the Jewish thing. They really didn't care about Jesus. They were just about making money and all that. Uh, but there's probably much more of a conversation. In fact, if you look at Matthew describing how Peter followed Jesus, it's kind of like that. But you can go to another gospel who has the story of Peter being called to follow Jesus, and there's a, a much more explanation there. So there's probably a much, more, uh, much bigger exclamation in this. But he says to him, uh, told him to follow him. You know, come on and follow him. Now, at this point, the crowd that had just, you know, we just saw Jesus forgive sin and heal a man, and we're right there with you. At this point, you can hear the collective gasp. And the music stops. And everybody just is kind of in disbelief. When Jesus taps, not a, a, a priest, not a scribe, not a rabbi, not a great teacher, not a prominent Jewish man of the Sanhedrin or something like that. No, for his inner circle, he taps a tax collector. The people would have said, who had just been celebrating his praises, he can't do that. He can't do that. What are you doing? It, it's really hard for me to try to describe for you 
the amount of hatred that existed amongst the Jewish people for tax collectors. They were truly, in a way that I don't think we can fully grasp, a, a, a pariah on the Jewish people. They were called tax collectors. Sometimes they were called tax farmers or publicans. Who they were, they were Jewish people themselves. So a lot of the people who knew them grew up with them. Now, people didn't travel as far and go live so many different places as we have traveled today. So people lived close together for most of their life. And so a lot of the tax collectors often knew everybody, and everybody knew them. They were somebody that they had grown up with. But somewhere along the way, they decided to align themselves with the Roman Empire, who the Jewish people saw as invaders and occupiers. Gentiles were in control of God's land. They hated the Romans. And one of ours is choosing to work for one of them to keep us down? They were collaborating with the enemy. So now, not only do they hate the Romans, but you have the audacity to work with them and in and, and, and trying to keep and manage and steal in their mind from us? Imagine 1940 Germany and a Jew deciding to work for the Nazis in order to keep the Jewish people in line. Not the perfect example, but it's pretty close. That's how much not only they hated the Romans, but they would hate, they did, they hated tax collectors because they were someone collaborating, one of their own traitor collaborating with the enemy. The job of the tax collector would be go out and collect the taxes that the Roman government required, and then they could add on top of that any fee that they chose or would be allowed by the government, Roman government, their bosses, uh, on top of that, and that's what they lived for. And so they often would put on a hefty fee. And so the Jewish people as a whole were struggling, struggling financially, struggling in their life, and yet one of their own was living a very lash, uh, a lavish life by taking their money, giving the enemy some, and then living on it. One of their own, while everybody else was kind of in the same spot, trying to make it, this one is living a lavish lifestyle with my money. And so they were hated for it. They got rich while everybody else struggled. They were considered unredeemable. They, they, they were not allowed to participate in the things of the temple. They were hated, and you could say, many, for many reasons, for good reasons. And Jesus asked one of them, not a rabbi, not a priest, not a scribe, not some upstanding Jew in their mind, but ask one of them to be one of the inner circle? No, no, Jesus. You know, we're with you, but, but you can't do that. We're excited. You, just, you seem like such a pioneer to take us where we always thought we were going to go, and then you do something so incredibly reckless. Tax collectors are to be avoided and shunned, not embraced. You might think that Jesus seeing all, he just had them. They were just falling. They were just singing his praises. And, and now they're like, no. You'd think that maybe he would go, okay, okay, let me, let me smooth the water out a little bit. No. He actually takes it up a notch. 
Verse 10, the next verse says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, that was just too much, many tax collectors and sinners, sinners was a title that, that the Jewish culture people would put on people who they thought lives were too ugly, that they thought were dirty, that they thought were unclean. Many of them would be Gentiles. Gentiles were those people. Those people that don't know God, those people that are apart from God, or, or maybe a Jew that had some things in their life. They're sinners. They had labeled them. They don't have value. You, you get away from these people. They can taint you. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus sought out ones that no one would seek out. Jesus engaged those who most would choose not to engage. He sought to connect with those who were different than him. Think about this. He didn't just go to the temple, you know, and, and get a seat in the temple and just let the crowds that were always following him come to him. He was a, he was a good Jewish man, good Jewish boy, and just... He could just sit there in the temple and let all the good Jewish men, good Jewish people come to him, and he could have just taught. And, and, and some of the, they, like I said, it was so corrupt, and he challenged the corrupt system. People, when he did that, they loved what he was teaching, and they were challenged and sometimes confused, and sometimes they weren't sure, but he, they loved how he debated and bantered back and forth with a corrupt leadership, and they loved what he did. He could have just sat there and had hundreds and thousands of people just come and just Spend time with people in many ways who are just like him. And it would have been easy and it would have been popular. Jesus could have just did that. But he didn't. And it wasn't because he had to go out and seek these people who were so different, so forgotten, so unwanted. It wasn't that he was hard up for a crowd. It wasn't that he was trying to get an audience. It's like, nobody will listen to me. Maybe these people, their life's so messed up. Maybe they'll listen to me. They ain't got nothing else to do. No one else wants to hang out with them. So maybe I'll go hang out with them so at least I'll get an audience. It wasn't, that wasn't the case. In fact, as you read the scripture, what you find is that it was hard to get near Jesus. It was hard to get an audience with Jesus. He always had so many people around him. He always had so many people that wanted to listen to him. That it's actually hard to get up close to Jesus and have a conversation with him. You may know the story where one time he was teaching. He was in the house, and it was so full. People hanging out the window and everything. And these guys show up with a cot, and on the cot is their friend who's, who's paralyzed. And they've heard that this Jesus could fix that. And so they're trying to get in, and, and gee, it's so crowded. You can't get up close to Jesus. So they go out, and they get up on the roof, and they start tearing off the roof and lower their friend right in front of Jesus because so he can't. He has to do something now. They've disrupted everything. It, it was never hard for Jesus to get a crowd. It was never hard for Jesus to get people to listen to him. So it's not like he's going to these people because he has no other thing going on. So Jesus always could have had people around him that were just like him and could have just spent his life, spent his day, being around people who were part of his tribe, his group. But he didn't. He always was intentional about seeking out those who were forgotten, those who were shunned, those who were not included, 
those who were different than his tribe. Not just in this occasion, he did it often. Remember the story when Jesus got, came into Jericho? What does it say? It says there's crowds of people around him. He's just walking and people are just talking, going with him, going with him, you know, wanting his attention, wanting to hear what he had to say, leaning in and everything. And it says as he's going, there's a guy named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector. He was like a manager of tax collectors. Again, someone shunned and hated. But he heard about this Jesus guy and wanted to find out about him. So what, is this, what does the story say he did? He found a tree and climbed up in the tree so he could just see who this guy is, that everybody is just around. That's how, how the crowds were around Jesus. And Jesus walking through the crowd. Look how, look, who in that crowd wouldn't say, hey, you can come eat my house. Hey, come over here. Hang out with us. Eat with us. Spend time with us. Hey! It says amongst all those people that were listening and there, they were very much like Jesus. He points to the one who is most unlike him, the one that everybody shunned and it was out, was not, was different than the group, to that one. And he said, Zacchaeus, get down. I'm going to eat with you today. I'm going to spend time with you today. Amongst all the people, he picked someone so different than his group, so outside his tribe. And that's the one he chose to spend time with. And it was this habit that caused people to criticize Jesus. That he's not, he's not a pioneer when he does this. He is a reckless radical. Going back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Pick up the next verse, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I, I want us, and here's where I want us to focus in today. Verse 13, it said, But go and learn what this means. You know, I... I believe that this was not just a message for those people that he was talking to at the moment. I believe Jesus knew that this would be written down and passed down through the centuries, through the ages to his people. I believe this is as much for you and me in this place today as it was for them. I believe Jesus is saying to us today, go and learn what this statement means. And the statement is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let's break that down. Sacrifice, what does that represent? Well, in this context, sacrifice represents, it represents the religion, which, which was centered, central to their culture, uh, both religiously as well as socially. It represented the rules and the regulations and the ceremony and the sacrifices, everything, the norms, the expectation that lived and governed Jewish life to the place that they had thought being a good Jew which means getting a right standing with God is about us making sure that we believe the right things, we do the right things, and that we surround our people that do that. And that's why they were very intent on making sure that we just spend time with our group, our tribe. That's where our focus is because it's about the sacrifice, which was the center of that. It's about us being good Jews and doing the norms and the rules and believing the right things and doing the right ceremony and everything and surrounding our people with that. It's about us, our tribe, our group, and perfecting that. And when we do, then we're in right standing. 
That's what God desires. And that's why they were so internally focused and why they were so concerned when they saw Jesus step out of the tribe and reach out to somebody else. That's what is represented in the context of sacrifice. When he says, but I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy represents giving people, reaching out to people who may not deserve it and offering grace. Where the sacrifice, the word, the word represents that whole system of religion and, and not just religion in the church, but that whole cultural system of us being God's people and us closing ranks and us doing the norms and the rules and being with each other and, and being just like each other and having our tribe and, and pushing back against everybody else. That is done in the context of our group and within the temple. Mercy is done as you go about living your life. The people that you come across, and mercy is about giving what is not deserved in the sense of of not giving uh, judgment, not giving ill will to people that may deserve it. Mercy is a result of just going through life and finding those people that need to be valued and accepted and loved and healed and reaching out to them. And most of the time, they will be the people that are not in your group or tribe. Says, Jesus, that's what I really want. Now then, here's what that says to us today. And here's what I believe Jesus is saying to us out of the story and about how he lived his life, how he always reached out to people who were different. I think what Jesus is saying is that you, you don't get You don't get, to the religious leaders, you don't get why I seek out those who are different. You don't get why I I seek out those who most of you have forgotten and don't want to see. Because you don't get what's truly important to me. What's truly important to the Father and what the true end to the means is. You think that the, the end is is, is good Judaism in the context of making sure that we go and we do all the temple stuff and we do the right sacrifice and we do the right rules and we do the right ceremony and we obey the right norms and we gather in our little groups together and separate ourselves from the world. You think that's the ends. That's not the ends. Judaism was always supposed to be the means to the end. It's the means in which I come through to bring about the ends. What I want for you most What I want for God's people. And this is the new kingdom that he is bringing. What I want most is not for you to be known to be a people who are rich in religion and rules and ceremony and sacrifice. But that you are a people who are rich in mercy. That mercy drives you like it does me. That mercy drives you to be intentional. To seek out those who have been forgotten. To seek out those outside your group whose lives are ugly and whose lives are messed up. To seek out investing your life in those people who are not in your group, who are not in your tribe, that are very different than you. And spend time with them and invest in them because when you're present in their life, what you're saying to them is that you matter. And I want you to be a people that, that reflect my heart. And my heart is not about you getting in your tribe. It's about you getting into the world and giving the mercy that I am giving you.
That's what I want you to be rich in. That's what I want you to be known for. And by his actions, Jesus again and again made it clear that he wasn't going to be a reformer that was going to bring, breathe new life into Judaism, but that he was bringing a new kingdom with a new set of priorities. And where they had always been internally focused, let's separate and let's just celebrate those who are like us, Jesus says it's not about that. This was always supposed to be a means to the end. The end was to go out and show mercy to those who are very different than you. Now, at this point, we can all say that's good stuff. And I ought to do that. But I think here's where this comes down to us. And my prayer today is that I make you extremely uncomfortable. Because how often... Do you seek people out? No, not, how often do you intentionally seek people out that are different than you and your tribe? How often do you seek those people out? How intentional are you about engaging people who are different than you and your tribe to encourage them? How often do you make space in your life for them, to help them, to encourage them, to be present in their lives, at your school, in your workplace, at your lunch, who you invite to lunch, in your neighborhood where you go have fun and play in your life. How often do you intentionally make space like Jesus did for those that are not part of your tribe? To make sure that they understand you matter. And I'm not talking about the homeless guy sitting out in front of the convenience store that you put a couple of coins in his cup as you pass by them because this is the convenience store that you go to every day on your way to work. That's good and you ought to do that. But that's meaning somebody that's just in your line of work. They came across you. You didn't really intentionally seek them out. I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, how often do you seek people around you that are not like you? Not like your group, not like your tribe. You feel a sense of responsibility for them to communicate mercy and love and value to them. How often? Because Jesus tells us we need to be intentional about that. And let me, if you're not uncomfortable yet, let me make you uncomfortable. In our little North Macon world, it's easy to spend your entire life surrounded by people who are just like you. You go to school, and many of you go to school where everybody in that school pretty much is just like you. We put our kids in school, partly because the school we put in is because everyone's just like them. But not only that, we put them in that school because we want to be around parents who are just like us. We go to work, and mainly our workplace, everybody's just like us. We live in neighborhoods where pretty much everybody's just like us. We go to church where everybody pretty much is just like us. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. What I am saying is that if that's all you do, and if you think that's what it means to be like Christ is to make sure your life is surrounded by your tribe, your group, and you are, And if you happen to run into somebody who's just not, who's not like you and your tribe, it's because you attended something like the church 
has left the building day. It's just because you participated in the church doing it, and you should. But I'm talking about you. In this story, Jesus is saying, not that that is wrong. What he is saying is this, though. I want something bigger and better for you and from you. I want there to be a value in you that drives you. A value, a calling to, to make space in your life, to be intentional, to value making sure that you have time in your life to seek out those people who are different than you that are not in your tribe. And it may be just that they're odd. It may be in your school that they're just the odd one. It may be more than that. It may be that they're messed up and their life is ugly and their life is broken. I don't know what it is that causes them to be outside your tribe. But what he's saying is this. I want you to value reaching outside your tribe and group and intentionally looking to be present in people's lives that are not in your tribe for the purpose of showing mercy and grace and communicating You matter. To invest in them. To stand with them. Because when you do, you allow God to use that process to communicate to them, you have value. We saw this is how Jesus functioned day after day after day. And it's the one thing that, 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 that the Jewish people struggled when believing and accepting of Jesus, and it's the exact same thing for us. But I would say, if we claim that we follow Jesus, then we need to be like Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Who are the tax collectors in your life? Who are the tax collectors in your world? And sadly, for some of us, if I went up and asked you that question, let's just be honest. You have spent your entire life surrounded by people just like you. That even if you had to sit down and think, who are the tax collectors? Who are the people outside my tribe whose lives are ugly or they're weird or they're a nerd or they're not? I mean, they make bad decisions. I don't know what it is that's making them outside your tribe. But who are the people outside my tribe that I need to be intentional about showing mercy and grace? Instead of just walking past them, I need to create space for them in my life. Who are they? And if I ask you to write them down, some of us have spent so much time in our tribe that we, could have, we would have a hard time even coming up with who that person is. Why? Because we've spent so much time about being us and our tribe and our group that we walk right past the people who are not in our tribe and we never even notice them. When Jesus, of anyone, constantly had people wanting to be with him who were like him, pushed back through that and found the people that were outside the tribe and said, I want to spend time with you. And we claim to follow him. You know what my hope is? That you're not mad at me? And my hope is this. Is that this morning that your prayer will be God, give me eyes to see who you see. God, give me a heart that can't ignore whom you can't ignore. God, create in me a drive or a calling to see past my tribe, past my group, and to see those 
and value engaging and loving and showing mercy and acceptance to those who are not part of my group or my tribe. God, help me to be one who's always looking out for who may be the tax collector to our group or tribe, who may be the sinner in in the culture in which I live in, who's the forgotten one. Give me a heart, a sense of responsibility, and a passion to be intentional about spotting those people and to reach outside my group and make space and time to be present in their life so that through me, you can say, you matter. You matter to me. You matter to God. Because I tell you, there are people in your life that are hungry to hear that because everything else has said to them, you don't I just think it's time that we've said for so long we believe in Jesus. And you can be a believer in Jesus by believing in Jesus. But don't say that you're a follower of Jesus until you start doing what Jesus did.